This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. About 610,000 people die of heart disease in the United States every year. That's one in every four deaths. And it's the leading cause of death for both men and women. Vascular disease represents one type of heart disease. And here with more on all of this and what you should know is Dr. Michael Costanza, Associate Professor of Surgery and the Director of Endovascular Therapy at Upstate University Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Costanza. Thanks Thank so much you. for coming in. Let's begin by defining what we mean when we say vascular disease. What exactly is it? Vascular disease is just any disease that affects the blood vessels in the body. And the most common vascular disease that we see are, you know, problems with narrowing of the blood vessels as they lead to the circulation in the legs uh, most commonly. So that term that's often thrown around, it's an old term, atherosclerosis, is that kind of this whole idea of the hardening of the arteries or a change in the width of the, the center of the arteries? Yeah, that's right. So atherosclerosis is is, ge is generally hardening of the arteries, and what, what happens uh, when that occurs is the arteries get more narrow so they can carry less blood flow, so it restricts the flow of blood to important organs or to important muscles, such as the muscles in your legs. And basically, what's the consequence of this then? Well, if you have significant atherosclerosis in the blood vessels that go to the legs, then when you walk, your muscles are doing work, and the way they get energy for doing that work is the blood flow. And with atherosclerotic disease or occlusive disease, that blood flow is restricted. So you get to a certain point when you're walking where the muscles literally run out of energy and then they stop working as well. And you either get pain or cramps and have to stop walking. And it would make sense that if the, muscle, if the, the arteries that go to the heart it would, is, is a muscle as well, it would have a similar effect. Right. It's the exact same thing that causes heart attacks or causes uh, people to have chest pain when they exercise. So let's talk about what the symptoms are. How would you know? You mentioned this whole idea of you know pain, pain on walking. What other symptoms might you notice? Well, I think that's the main symptom that people come in for is um, they feel like their legs get tired out or they cramp after a certain distance of walking, and that could be a block or two or it could be several blocks if people are more active. Some people don't know they have any problems until they get checked by a doctor, and um, usually the physician can tell by doing some very easy tests in the office that there is some buildup of atherosclerotic disease. I want to talk more about the testing in a minute, but so basically what actually happens to the body? I mean, what are the kinds of blockages that we have in terms of the kinds of things that can happen? For example, if, if you have a blockage in the arteries, the carotid arteries that go to the brain, I mean, what, what right. are the kind of consequences of all right. of this. So atherosclerotic disease can actually affect any blood vessel in the body, and when it affects the blood vessels in the neck or the carotid arteries, it can cause a stroke or a mini stroke uh, or what we call a warning stroke. And that what happens there is that the uh, narrowing in the arteries can cause small blood clots to form, and those blood clots can then go up into the brain and block a blood vessel in the brain. And if they block it permanently, that's a permanent stroke. If they only block it temporarily, then that's a mini stroke. And that can have, obviously, even fatal consequences. So bottom line is we're talking about that the peripheral, I mean, the arteries that feed all of these very important organs and muscle groups, basically, if they start to um, shut down or get blocked, 
lots of possible consequences. Right. You know, vascular disease encompasses m many things, the carotid arteries, the leg arteries, the abdominal aorta, which is the main blood vessel in the body. And all of those things can cause either uh, limb-threatening or life-threatening complications if they're not treated. So who is most at risk for this? Well, there's several risk factors. The, the number one risk factor is people that have smoked. Um, because that's one of the biggest causes of atherosclerotic disease. Uh, people that have diabetes are at risk. Um, people that are older age groups have more prevalence of vas vascular disease than, than younger people. And then people with high cholesterol and high blood pressure are also at risk. Did you mention obesity? Well, obesity turns out to be not as significant a risk as those other things that I mentioned. Why is smoking such an issue? Well, smoking is one of the main causes of that atherosclerotic or cholesterol buildup on the inside of the blood vessels. And just like smoking has been linked to heart disease, it's been linked to uh, blockages in vessels and other organs. And what it does is it stimulates the vessels to harden and uh, attract these cholesterol particles which build up on the inside and narrow the blood vessels. So it sounds like this one of the single most significant causes Right. To, this, to developing this kind of thing. So how do you go about, you mentioned that it's not a difficult thing to diagnose. How is it diagnosed? Well, a lot of times uh, you can diagnose it in people with symptoms by just talking to them and, and gauging their symptoms. And so then, a history. Uh, history. History is very important. And then on the physical exam, um, you know, usually we can feel people's pulses all the way down their legs. If we can't feel them with our fingers, then that usually tells you there's some uh, blockage in the blood vessels. And then in the office, we can actually do a very simple test where we actually just take the blood pressure at the ankle and compare it to the blood pressure in the arm. And those two blood pressures should be equal. And if the ankle pressure is significantly lower than the arm pressure, we know there's something going on there. Is there ever a need to do further testing, imaging type testing or blood tests or anything of that nature? Yeah, sometimes we do imaging testing depending on what the patient needs and what we're planning on doing to treat it. But it's not critical to make the diagnosis. Often it can be done just in the office. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with vascular surgeon Dr. Michael Costanza. We're talking about peripheral vascular disease. So basically, how is this treated? Let's go through the different ways it's treated. I mean, would lifestyle changes be sufficient in many cases? Sometimes they would be. You know, the treatment varies um, by invasiveness. The first thing that we usually tell patients is if they are smoking to stop smoking. Usually that alone relieves some of the symptoms. And then we usually recommend an exercise program as well because if you engage in a walking program where you're walking for 30 or 40 minutes every day, you can actually condition your muscles to work better on the circulation that they have. So those are two non-invasive ways of treating it. So you may not be improving the circulation per se at that point, but you can really improve the, the kind the of conditioning, conditioning of, the muscles. of the muscles. Right. Is that Would that be true even with the heart? I mean... The heart has also rehabilitation potential, and we do have you know, cardiac rehabilitation programs that people go through after heart surgery or after a heart attack, so it is a similar process. So, so basically, the biggest thing you would say is stop smoking to someone. How about losing weight? Is that important? You know, I think losing weight helps in the sense that it usually makes you more active, and it makes your muscles have to do less work in, you know, in terms of walking around, so I do think it's helpful. If someone has this diagnosis well, first of all, what are the you know average age when someone might first get this kind of a diagnosis? It's usually people uh, over the age of 60 they get it. And as they get older, the incidence of this problem goes up. So can you, if you were to make a change in your lifestyle at that point, 
if it's not potentially, um, well, how would you know for one thing if it were a severe amount of atherosclerosis versus a minimal amount? Well, we can usually tell, you know, based on the history in terms of how far they can walk. And sometimes, you know, people come in with very advanced cases and we actually see gangrene of the toes or uh, ulcers or sores on the feet that don't heal. And some people have pain even when they're not walking, and then we know it's very far advanced. And in that case, a lifestyle intervention might not be sufficient. Yeah, usually not enough in those cases. Usually we have to do something more invasive. So let's talk about what other things you do. What kind of medications are you using? Well, there are a couple of FDA-approved medications that do improve the blood flow through smaller vessels that go around these blockages, and that can help people walk farther. Um, they don't take care of the blockages themselves, but they can improve the symptoms of the blockages. And so then, after, let's assume you've done both those things, and yet, why would you move to something like surgery? Well, for some people, the quality of life is so limited based on not being able to walk as far as they want that they want something more done. And then other people are really in a limb-threatening position if they have gangrene. If we don't do anything for those, they're likely to lose their leg, and so we have to intervene. But in addition to the peripheral uh, aspects of this in terms of affecting the leg muscles, I mean, if you don't intervene, are you also potentially at higher risk for things like stroke or heart attack, that kind of thing as well? Yeah, that's a good question. If you identify somebody with peripheral arterial disease, you really have identified somebody with the same risk of a heart attack as someone who's had a previous heart attack because they are so closely associated. So it's the same process that affects the heart can affect the legs. And so you really ha you're right, you really have to modify their lifestyle for their heart's sake as well. But in terms of the aggressiveness of your therapy, would you be more aggressive, you know, knowing that somebody has that kind of involvement in terms of both lifestyle modification but also perhaps medication and maybe I guess the point is when do you turn to surgery? Right. We usually reserve surgery um, for people that are really in a limb-threatening position. I see. But we do have something that's a little short of surgery called you know, endovascular interventions where we're using balloons or stents in a minimally invasive way to try to improve the circulation. So in that group of patients that aren't quite in a limb-threatening situation but want to walk further um, and haven't responded to medication or lifestyle, then we would consider them for you know, an arteriogram and possible balloon angioplasty, just like we do on the heart. Do these things, these interventions, actually, are they protective for the, in other words, if you make sufficient lifestyle intervention and you take the right kinds of medications, are you actually changing the potential course for any kind of life-threatening oh, uh, complications absolutely. that could occur? Right. If you make the lifestyle changes, um, you definitely are lengthening your lifespan and improving your quality of life because your symptoms will definitely improve as well. So it sounds like the me in terms of the surgical intervention, those are more for immediate kind of concerns, but in terms of really changing the course of all the complications that can come from peripheral vascular disease, the, li the lifestyle and the medication changes are more potentially long long-lasting or have right. a bigger bang for your buck. Right, so and that's why I think it's so important for people that even don't have significant symptoms to be at least have the diagnosis because then they know they really do have to make lifestyle changes in order to, you know, improve their lifespan. What about prevention? I mean, what would you say to your, what do you say to your patients in terms of either prevention of further problems or even prevention at the, at the go? 
Right. I think the number one thing is to, if you're not smoking, don't start. And if you are smoking, to stop smoking. If you could do nothing else, that would be the most important thing. And then the other things go along with a healthy diet and regular exercise and controlling your blood pressure. And if you have diabetes, controlling your sugars. So what do you think the prognosis is then? Somebody around age 60 or 65 gets diagnosed with this, and it's it's of moderate concern. If the person does make these changes, would it, you said it, they can really live a, a full life. Right. It's an excellent prognosis. Certainly from the leg perspective, if you do make those changes, you really almost eliminate the possibility of getting into a limb-threatening position. And you will definitely improve your heart health, which will translate into a longer lifespan. So what about screening? I mean, is, is it important? And, and how should we be going about? Because I think you indicated it's almost a silent Unless you have real cramping or pain or limitation when you're walking, you might not know that you're developing right. this problem. Right. I think screening is important. Certainly there are groups of patients that are in those high-risk categories where a screening, which could just involve someone you know, checking their pulses in the office or doing that test with the blood pressure on the ankle, um, could easily diagnose this, and then you know that patient could be aware of the need for you know making those changes we talked about. So basically, things like avoiding smoking, if you're diabetic, controlling your diabetes, your blood sugar, um, making sure exercise is something you do. I mean, what would you say? 30 minutes, three times a week, kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's fine. And then making sure that your cholesterol is under control, um, healthy diet, and keeping your weight down, all those things really together really can be protective. Right. It's the same, you know, issues in terms of living a cardiac healthy lifestyle as well. They, they are very overlapping diseases. So the same things that would be good for your heart would be good for this problem as well. And when you just very briefly, when you do the kinds of interventions you were talking about, the kind of um, endovascular kinds of things that you do, Basically, they can solve the immediate problem, right. but it's really the lifestyle changes. Right. If we you know, open up an artery and get the blood flow going and the patient continues to smoke, continues to leave an unhealthy lifestyle, that artery will close back up within a matter of a year, um, if not sooner. So if they don't make the lifestyle changes, then you know, doing that is just a very short-term solution. Thank you so much for coming in. This is very interesting and something I think many people don't really understand. So I appreciate all of your information. My guest has been Dr. Michael Costanza. He is Associate Professor of Surgery and the Director of Endovascular Therapy at Upstate University Hospital. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.